And I just want to say good morning to everybody at Hartsell and Madison. Guys, if you don't know this in Coleman here, that we have uh, campuses in Hartsell and Madison. And we have a bunch of people that worship with us online. And so that's super good that there's a lot of people this morning up and loving on Jesus. Can you clap your hands and welcome everybody online right now? Thank you guys for joining us. Hey, I'm, I'm so excited to be back here with you guys. I got to do some really cool stuff, travel around and, and uh, see the church we planted in Texas and, and do some really cool stuff like that. I want to say thank you to Pastor Eli and Pastor Tom for what a great job they did uh, in my absence. They did such a wonderful job. Now, Pastor Tom uh, was talking real dirty. I have spoken to him about that. I want to apologize. Uh, he kind of gets that way sometimes. No, he did a great message, and he talked about a subject that too many other people are talking about, and we need to hear what the church, what the Lord says about that. Hey, give Eli and Tom a big hand. Didn't they do great? Just, just thank those guys. <clears throat> so that, 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 that was really good for me to get to, uh, to hear and, and be blessed by that. Now today, I want, I want to go in a different direction, and before I get there, you've got notes in your worship guide, and, and uh, you you can pull your Bible out. We're going to be in Second Chronicles. It might take you five minutes to find that. That's kind of an Old Testament place. But before we go, before I kind of tell you the, 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 the title of where I'm going, I really have to set up a little bit what I'm doing and, and where, we're, where we're going. This is a little bit of a reminder for some of you that were really locked in in November and have followed all the way through. We're in something we're calling a move journey from a moment to a movement. Say it with me. From a to a all right, so, so this kind of burst and, and, and began in my heart way back, b believe it or not, it start, God started working on me back in January, last January, 2019. And we're in here in prayer, and you might remember me telling you that, that, that God said something to me for the very first time I've never heard before where he said, Jerry, I want you to take stupid pills. Start believing for things that only a stupid person would believe could happen. You know, just crazy ideas. Start from scratch and, and, and don't think about what can be done and what can't be done. Don't think about what has been done so far. Just take stupid pills every day. And, and you know, for, for several months I just prayed and, and just, you know, did my thing and, and, and just kind of had an open ear for what God might be saying next. And long about November we just rolled out this idea. And I'm not going to go into that whole detail, but that, that our church is really going to a whole new place that God has given us a vision that is really you got to take stupid pills to believe it could happen, you know, <laughs> that we would, we would expand our influence. And really what our church has always been about is influencing people for Jesus. Seeing families change, we call it community transformation, but it really is a family. It's a, it's a person being changed by the gospel of Jesus and that having an impact on his family and that family impacts a, a neighborhood or a place of work or at school and it really becomes a chain reaction. And I can even look around this room right now and I can remember one-on-one -on -one interactions or, or one person came through the building and, and how God touched their life and how that, that, that motivated them to invite others and touch other people's lives and, and that has become a great church. And so, you know what, God gave uh, us this, this vision that our church would expand in other places, that we would reach more people. And guys, we'll have, when this, this journey is over, this, this move uh, three-year journey, you know, we'll be in four uh, places, if you count our online campus, three other campuses in North Alabama, and we'll have 10 campuses in Africa. That's pretty amazing. A lot of people worshiping Jesus and, 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 and hearing the message that we bring right here. I mean, we're going to be preaching the message through those cameras all over Africa and North Alabama. Can, can we pause and recognize God's in the works and all that? Can we just take a minute? Just thank God for that. So, so that's huge, but 
What, what God was saying to me uh, j- just through this whole journey was that, that it was not just a moment, but, but it was a movement. What's the difference in a moment and a movement? That, that all of this life change, that people who have been saved and people who have been delivered from addiction and people whose marriages have been mended, that all of that would just add up to a moment. But what God wanted from us, for us, was a movement. Let me, let me, let me start by saying this, that what, what Daystar has, has seen happen over the last 20 years, it's extraordinarily rare. This church is uh, really just blown up in, in a lot of really cool ways, and it's very rare, but it's not unheard of. There's other great churches. There's a lot of churches that, that have a, a big start, you know, that, that reach a lot of people at the very beginning. It, it kind of happens like this. You know, God births something in the heart of a leader, <clears throat> usually the pastor. There's other leaders in the community that just are feeling and hearing the same thing. They're, they're believing that, you know, that, that, that God wants to do something big. That's the way it happened here. You know, I found out there have been people in this community praying and believing and hoping for revival for a, a church that made sense. You know, that was just relevant and it wasn't, you know, religious, but, but just really made sense in people's lives. And, and so th- this kind of a thing takes off and it reaches a lot of people. But here's what happens a lot of times. And I'm answering the question, what's the difference in a moment and a movement? See, a lot of times that happens. And then there's just sort of time happens. And, you know, leaders move on, people die, there's transition, the pastor retires or quits or he goes somewhere else. And here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know, that's not what God wants out of us because what, what happens then is it just sort of flattens out and you have just another nice church, just another collection of people who clean up and dress up a little bit or not uh, on Sunday and just come and, and, and talk about Jesus and then they just don't do anything about Jesus for another seven days and then they might, or 14 days if we're honest, and then they might just come back again and do that same thing again and it just settles into just a nice group of people and that has never been what our church is designed to do. Can I hear an amen? Man, I don't want to do nice church better than the other nice churches do nice church. There's no aspersions to any other church. I'm not saying anything ill toward any other church, but I'm telling you God didn't get me up this morning. He didn't birth it in my spirit all those years ago to just do nice church nicer than all the other nice churches. Are you with me? Come on, are you with me? Come on, I've been talking to some of y'all for 20 years. You know what I'm talking about. That we're not here to do the same old thing, but we're here to believe that, that, that people who have a, a heritage of drug addiction, that have a long life of, of sexual addiction, that pornography has in, in, engulfed their whole life, that God could turn those kinds of people around, that he could show us a purpose and a vision and a meaning for our lives. And that that wouldn't happen occasionally or in just one season of time, but that would be a movement for our church. And here's what I heard God say to me. He's like, he said, Jerry, I want this thing to outlast every leader, every giver, every person who's made a generous sacrifice, every person who has given of themselves to make this church happen, and especially you, Jerry. When you're dead and when you're gone, I want this kind of a movement to be something that goes beyond all that stuff. I, you know, the, the beautiful thing about serving God is that if, if you keep uh, leaning, into, <coughs> leaning into him, you keep serving him, he'll tell you new stuff. I mean, you can, you can study this Bible, you can read it, and you can seek after God for your whole life. And on your last day on this earth, God will tell you something he never told you before. Do you know that? It's the most beautiful and amazing thing. And, and it had never really entered my mind what happens one day, you know, because I'm going to live forever. 
Most men think that about themselves, right? I'm going to live on, and, it's, and, and, and you know, everything's in control. Most men also think that about themselves. I've got it under control. Don't worry about it. This thing goes crazy. That thing goes haywire. doesn't matter. I've got all this under control. We, we like to control things, but, but it really never entered my mind what happens when it's not under my control. What happens when I'm not able to handle everything and make everything be the thing and the way I want it to be? And, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know what? I've got a plan that's bigger than you and these people, bigger than everybody that's come and gone and stayed and everything that's gone beyond. I want to build a movement. I want to go from a moment. When God spoke to me and said, everything you've seen, Jerry, in 20 years of Daystar Church has been a moment. It gave me a picture of just how big God is, how big God's plans are, how amazing God wants to be for our cities and our communities and the places that he gives us influence in. God wants to take us from a moment to a movement. Now, we, we've been telling you that that is a journey. Everybody say journey. And, and it's not a campaign. It's not a fundraiser. It's a spiritual journey. Everybody say spiritual journey. Now, all that, I had to say all that just so I could tell you the title, okay? The title is just this, Putting the Spirit in the Journey. What, what is the Holy Spirit doing in your journey? How is God moving you? What is he saying to you? This whole, uh, <clears throat> this whole theme verse for what we're doing is, is 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And that's the place where David and, and, and his son Solomon really hear from God that they're going to build the world's greatest worship center. And they build the temple of Solomon. And here's what God says to them. The work is huge, 1 Chronicles 29 and 1. This, this work is huge because it's not just a place for people to meet with each other, but a house for God to meet us. A house for God to meet us. That's, that's a, such an inspirational statement. And if you, look, if you look closely at that verse, the, the meeting is way more important than the house. He said it's a house for God to meet us. The focus is not on the house. The focus is on the meeting. God could care less about the brick and the mortar and the property and the value and the money and all that stuff. All God cares about is the meeting. Can I hear an amen? He wants to meet with us. Now, this was the greatest worship facility ever built. It took him 20 years to build it. David gave millions. Solomon gave millions personally. The, the, the whole congregation uh, gave hundreds of millions of dollars to do all this. And I love the perspective that Solomon gives us all before he lays the first brick. He says this in 2 Chronicles 2. He says, the house I'm to build will be great for our God, is greater than all God's. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? In other words, there's no reason even for this building except that we can offer ourselves to God. He said there's nothing about this place that would hold him in. You know, God doesn't need him to build you a house. 
Now, God doesn't need you to build him a house, rather. It's not about the house. It's about the meeting. You know, the thought that, that we could build a house. People are meeting all over uh, America this morning under roofs, and they're calling it, we're meeting at the house of God. That's fine. It's a house for God, but it's not, the house. It's not a house that God could live in. He's way bigger than that. That's why it always kind of, you know, freak me out when people say, don't you go down there to Daystar. They, they let them have coffee in the house of God. I, they don't respect the house of God. That must be a cult down there. They have music and lights, and they turn out the lights, and it's the, they don't know it's the house of God. You really think that you could put God in this house? Are you kidding me? Solomon used hundreds of millions of dollars to build a gigantic building and said, oh, by the way, you can't fit God in here. In fact, the Bible says that the heavens that God made can't fit God in those heavens. He's far beyond a building. He's far beyond a campaign. He's beyond anything you could give him any money or any time or giving of your life. He's bigger than all those things. And the beautiful thing is his great big gigantic eye is not focused on all the buildings people have built for him or even on the heavens he built for himself. The eye of God is focused right now in this room on little bitty you. He cares about you. He knows what you came in this building thinking about today. He knows what's facing you tomorrow when you get up and you go to work or school or that is the decisions that you're going to make or relationships that you're engaged in. He knows about all that. This God who has the authority to do anything he wants has chosen to do what you need in your life. He's chosen to love just you. He doesn't, he doesn't need to talk you into loving him. He doesn't need to do something to, uh, uh, to, to, try, to try to win someone's affection. But he's chosen to just love you. You don't have to do anything to make him love you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. There's no amount of giving that you could do, either of money or time or energy or anything else that you have. He has chosen to love you. And here's what we're doing. What we are called to do is take a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual journey. And I'm going to ask you some spiritual questions, some very probing, two probing questions. And if you're taking notes... You can fill in the blanks and kind of follow along with me. I'm coughing a little bit. I apologize for that. Just got a little dry cough. I don't have the flu. I don't have the coronavirus. Everybody's okay. Don't worry about it. Just follow along with me. What is the most significant thing God has done in you recently? What is it that he's done in you? Not, not for you. Now, what miracle what prayer did he answer? But, but what's he done in you? How has God changed you? How has he spoken to you that got your attention and, and you can't forget it? What is he calling you to do? How has God challenged you? What hill are you getting ready to charge? What hill are you on right now? You're charging up that hill because God spoke to you. Is he saying to you as a, as a man, you know, I'm calling you <clears throat> to stand out from the crowd and not be back in the middle of the herd, and, and, and this is how you're to stand out. He's talking to you about a, about a mom and, and how you're to be a mom, ladies. Well, what is it that God is speaking to you? Is he challenging you to share your faith with someone? Has he released spiritual gifts? Has he baptized you in the Holy Spirit? Are, are you stepping up to do something you've never done before? What is the most significant thing God has done in your life recently? Can you name something? Because if not, God's definitely catapulting you into a new spiritual journey, a new spiritual season. And the second question is really simple. <clears throat> Are you closer to God today 
than you've ever been in your life? That's a haunting question. I have asked myself that question hundreds, maybe thousands of times in my life. Are you right now closer to God? Have you, have you stayed on fire seeking God, wanting to know Him more, wanting to be closer to God right now? Or have you said, well, you know, it's just a season where I'm going to slow it down. I'm just going to kind of focus on some other things. Are you closer to God right now than any other time in your life? <clears throat> I, I really believe that we're in a season where God is leaning this whole church into Him. And calling us to go deeper, to know Him more intimately, and take a spiritual journey. One of risk, one of challenge, one of inspiration. And, and you know, that's called prophetic. When God speaks to us, Amos 3 and 7 says, The sovereign Lord doesn't do anything without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophet. God is doing something in our church, and He has prophetically revealed it to us. And I want you to understand very clearly, the move journey is not a money journey. It's a spiritual journey. In many ways, it would be much easier if it was a money journey. Because then you could just say, that's great, Pastor. You've been here a long time. You seem like a nice guy. I believe in you. Tell me how much I owe, and I can be done with this thing. That's what a money journey sounds like, right? I'll just write a check, and, and we'll do it. But a spiritual journey is something completely different. I have to deep, deeply uh, seek God for myself personally. I have to ask God, what are you saying in my life, God? What are you calling me to? And if it's not about money, it's about God moving in my life. The question I have is, can you honestly say that you have, you, you're in touch right now with the plan of God for your future? Where's God taking me? Somebody, I read somewhere somebody said, you know, you asked me what my five-year plan is. I'm just trying to live and see tomorrow, you know. But what is your spiritual journey? What, where is God taking you spiritually? What, what is he doing in your life, if it's not about money and it's about a destiny with God, are you closer to God today than you've ever been before? Now, you'll remember that God chose Solomon. David wanted to build this building, and God chose Solomon to build it. And, and, uh, and he said some things about Solomon that I want to apply to your life. First Chronicles 28 and 2, it says, King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God changed his mind. Verse 6, God said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. There's two things right there. When God takes you on a spiritual journey, and you're on one, okay? When God takes you on a spiritual journey, write this down. First, God chooses you. Let me start right there and tell you that you have been chosen not to be average or ordinary or a loser or somebody who just kind of, you know, doesn't really belong in the building. I can't believe I'm here with all these churchy people. I hope the building doesn't cave in on my... Nope, not that. God has chosen you for something special and extraordinary. I've heard it a million times. Well, you know, I just kind of hope I can slip through the back door of heaven, you know. I just hope I do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things. Let me tell you, that's all hogwash. That's not God's plan for any person on the planet. Can I hear an amen to that? Not God's plan. In fact, God's plan sounds more like this for you, 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me pause right there just for a minute. Those adjectives, those words describe the way you ought to see yourself. You can't possibly take the spiritual journey that God wants you to go on until you know how God has chosen you and how God has identified you. These words, I want you to say them with me. Put this verse back on the screen, and I think they're adjectives. If there's any English professor, please tell me after church that I got it wrong. Not now. You are a, and I want you to say these, these words, these adjectives that describe you. Say it with me. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. A God called you holy. Hold on just for a time out. You're holy. You're, whole, you're a holy people. Now, I grew up, I don't want to talk about how I grew up. That would probably get somebody offended. But I, holiness people are not what I thought I was ever going to be. You know, I thought it had something to do with how you dressed and what you, mostly about what you didn't do. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like holiness was mostly what you didn't do. And here God says, no, your holiness depends on the fact that I chose you. Man, isn't that a lot easier to deal with than trying to figure out what holiness looks like and what it's, you know, how, how I have to do and what I have to do to earn it and make it right? And God says, no, you're holy because I called you holy. You're a holy nation, God's special people, that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you weren't a, a people, but now you are. The people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen to me. Let me announce this fact. It's too late for you to be a nobody. You've already been chosen by God. He already brought you here today. You said, no, he didn't bring me here. My wife brought me here. She nagged me all week long. Yes, the Holy Spirit gave her the anointing to nag you in the building. He brought you here he got you here. Well, I'm not here. My mama made me come. I know the Holy Spirit anointed your mother to drag you. Let me tell you, God's doing it all. He's chosen you. He loves you so much. He looked right past all the reasons you didn't want to love him, and he just made his love almost irresistible to you. That you just had to come. And, you know, following God is like when I was just a little kid and we, we would have summers away from school and I would get really close to a, a creek bank. And, and the closer you get, following God is just like that creek bank. The closer you get, the more curious you get before long, you're going to find a slippery spot and you're going to slide right into God's presence. That's what following God is all about. He woos you and he calls you. And before you dive in, he dives in on you. In fact, Jesus said it this way, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's what Jesus said. He chose you before you chose him. Let, let, let aside that whole idea that if I could ever get myself clean enough, if I could ever do enough right things, if I could ever straighten myself out. Some of you treat God the way some of you wives treat the cleaning lady. You curious what I mean by that? <laughs> you know, the cleaning lady's coming. Y'all better clean up. <clears throat> cleaning lady's coming today. Y'all better get those dishes cleaned up. Put your stuff away. The cleaning ladies come. You better get this house clean. I don't understand these ladies. Can, can I hear an amen from somebody? Right? You got to get everything clean. Some of you treat your walk with God like that. You know what? If I could ever get myself cleaned up enough, then I'm going to let God clean me up. Really? How does that make any sense? Let me tell you, God takes you right where you are just as you are. 
not after everything's cleaned up, not after you've figured everything out. He determines to choose you, and he says you're chosen. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <laughs> friend of mine uh, who I met at a small group, now he's deep in the, into this church for years, he said, you know what the problem is for Daystar? He said, the problem with this church is nobody is expected to sit and watch. You can't just come in here and pay a little bit of money and have them leave you alone. It won't work that way. Everybody's supposed to change the world. Everybody's supposed to hear from God. Everybody's supposed to touch heaven. And when everybody prays, we're supposed to believe that something is about to happen right now. And that when we worship, we're supposed to believe that God is literally in the building. I said, yes. You figured it out. That's exactly what we believe. Come on. Do we really need another group of people gathering together to play nice and have little, little, little Christian activities that amount to nothing? Or do we need a group of people who believe that God chose them, that his DNA is inside of us, that we're going somewhere with him, and that when we take our steps, God takes those steps with us, and that whatever we meet outside of these doors is not as great as the God we have met inside these doors today. And greater is he who lives in us than he who lives in this world. Listen, I know you think I became a preacher because I couldn't do anything else. Well, he couldn't be a carpenter and he didn't finish school, so he became a preacher. I know that's what most people think. That's not why I started doing this. I started doing this because I genuinely believed the words of this book that God was real. That he really cared, that he would really show up in your life, that he's as supernatural in my life as he is on the pages of this book. And I still believe that today. That he'll still guide you. He'll still show you what you're supposed to do. He'll give you answers to questions that you can't fathom on your own. He first chooses you. He said these words about Solomon. He said, I've chosen him to be my son. <clears throat> and now I will be his father. So write this down. First he chooses you. Then he infuses you with his DNA. He says, hey, I'm going to make him my son. I've chosen him. I don't care whose son he used to be. Do you know whose son Solomon was? Solomon was the son of two adulterers. That's who Solomon was. And one of those adulterers was also a murderer. David saw a beautiful woman that he wanted. However, she was married to a soldier. And since he was the commander-in-chief, he had that soldier killed so he could steal that soldier's wife. And her name was Bathsheba. And he took Bathsheba as his wife, he didn't wait until the soldier was killed, by the way. He already seduced her and slept with her and impregnated her before he ever figured out how he would get out of this. Then his, his out was to kill the woman's husband. That's the child God chose. <laughs> he said, he's mine. Everybody in the kingdom had another name for that boy. His name was Bastard, right? That's what they called him. He was a bastard son. God said, no, he's my son. Solomon's story is here for somebody in this room. The reason God chose Solomon was because somebody in this room right now thinks you can't be chosen by God. I promise you, you're no in worse shape than Solomon was. And Solomon is chosen by God, and then God says, he's my son, and I'm going to infuse my DNA on him. Whatever you started out as, God says it doesn't matter. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Can I hear an amen? He didn't start out well, but you're, you know, the, you may not have started out well, but you're not what you were. Can you come to grips with that fact that you're not what you were? You've been chosen by God. He chose you. He called you his son or his daughter, and he's infused his DNA inside of you. In fact, 
<clears throat> I'm so thankful that I, I finally got to read the scripture for myself. Didn't just always take, you know, there's a lot of, in our world, in, in, in America, there's a lot of Christian sort of pop culture ideology, what it means to be a Christian. To be a preacher means that you've got it all together, that you're the example of everything you preach on and that you never do anything wrong. And then you're driving down the road one day and you change lanes without turning on your blinker and somebody says, see that hypocrite. <laughs> I knew he was full of the devil. And if you're watching me, I mean, you're going to get way more uh, than changing lanes without a blinker. I'll just go ahead and tell you. That's why I try to, you know, I try to confess several, at least two or three sins each week so that I can get ahead of anything y'all are catching me in. <laughs> I realize that serving God, being chosen by God, is not based on you getting it all together, knowing it all right, and being perfect example of everything in Scripture. There is a such thing as a hypocrite, and I certainly never want to be that person. But just because you're imperfect doesn't make you a hypocrite. Can I hear an amen to that? from all the imperfect people in the room. It doesn't make us a hypocrite, right? It means you're in a process. God's doing something in your life. In fact, my, my pastor, Pastor McDuffie, taught me this verse, 1 John 3 and 2. It really helped me understand it. He said, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Right now. Everybody say now. Right now we're children of God. Right now. And what we will be has not been made known. What do you mean what we will be? We're already children of God. There's nothing greater to be. You're already a child of God. You're a son of God. That means you don't sin. You don't make any mistakes. You don't think any impure thoughts. You're just a child. Well, apparently not. Man, somebody smiled. Isn't that good news? You don't have to have it all together to be a child of God. When I realized that, it blew me away. I was like, wow. So I am a child of God after all. <laughs> I'm going to make it. And what I will be has not yet been made known. Man, God has done something great in my life already, but what I will be is not even known yet. In other words, there, I see so much momentum in that promise that I, I, I've, I've been chosen by God. I didn't think I was worthy of it. He's infused me with his DNA. He's catapulted me forward in places I never thought I would go, and yet where I'm going to go, I still can't even see it yet. You know, you're so far out from where you're going, you can't even, you don't even see the taillights of where God's taking you. Can I just get somebody to believe that with me right now? That the plans of God are so great in your life that you can't even fathom them yet. What he has in store for you, what he wants to do in your life, you're just at the beginning. And so you know what you need to do? You, you have to do to get there just exactly what David and Solomon did. When they, when they built this great temple for God and, and what they challenged the others to do. Now, David and Solomon gave more than anyone else gave. They gathered all the leaders together. They gave millions. They gathered the leaders together and the leaders gave lots. And then they said this statement that I, I repeated to you back in November when I announced the move journey. First Chronicles 29 and 5, they just said, who is willing to join in the giving? Who, who, who gives something else? Who, who else will give? And, and I read that, and so, I read that in like 10 different translations, so I could just fully understand it. But the ESV says it like this, who's willing to consecrate himself? Now, you ever wondered why the Bible has multiple translations? And, and you'll hear me read from different translations. Well, see, the, the Bible was not written in the language that you're carrying it in, unless you're carrying a Hebrew and Greek Bible. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament it's written in Greek or Aramaic, and we don't speak those languages. So we have a translator, somebody who understands both languages, the, the original language and our language, 
And, and, and see, these languages, they translate, but they don't, they don't match perfectly. It's not like putting together Lego blocks and this word snaps onto that word. You know, this word in Hebrew snaps onto this word in English. It doesn't work that way. So somebody has to understand both sides of the language. And, and that's why you'll get slightly different variations. And I think it's wonderful to have the variations. It's wonderful because it makes me think more and helps me to understand what God was saying. And when God says, who, who give in on the, who join in on the giving? The word there is the Hebrew word malay, M-A-L-A. And let me give you a definition of it. It means to be accomplished or completed, to be ended or expired, to give completely. This is clearly not a question of who will write a check. That is not what they were saying. said, who is so in love with God that, that you would be expired? You'd give yourself completely to him. That's the question. Not would you donate some money. It, it made, when, I, when, I, when I read that definition, it reminded me when I first was called into ministry. I was so miserable. I had no idea that I would be a preacher. I could not stand the idea of it, honestly. And I was just getting, I was praying. I was serious about my walk with God, but I w wasn't thinking about doing this. And I remember on a, on a Saturday night coming to the little church I was attending at my college town. I had a key to the church because I was one of the volunteers. It was a really tiny church. Everybody had a key. <laughs> and I came down to the little altar, the little kneeling bench, the wooden bench, and I just laid my whole chest across it, much, much like they would lay a, a sacrifice. And I was saying, God, I'm so miserable. I think you're talking to me, but I'm so confused. I don't even care what you want me to do in my life. God, just take my life. It's not going to be worth anything if I don't get some peace. That, that's what this, this, this ancient Hebrew word makes me think of. Just pouring your whole life out and saying, God, you would be better with this life than I would. Can I suggest to you that that's, that's not for preachers only? You know, I know in your mind you think, oh, I guess that's what preachers do. No, no, that's what the people of God do. In this book, there is, there is no distinction between what we call clergy and laity. Those are churchy words. That's not, they're not in this book. God just assumes that we're all going to be sold out to Him and that we're going to give our lives to Him and that He's going to lead us. And here's the beautiful thing about when you give something to God. See, God, the, the cool thing about God is you don't have anything he needs. So when you give it to him, he's going to give it back to you. Better. Focused. Anointed. Strengthened. Directed in the right purpose. So why wouldn't you give him your life, your children, your relationships, your education, your decisions, your dreams, your goals, your finances, your, your abilities, your health, give it all to him and see what God would do out of that. You see, he doesn't need money or, or, or time or your gifts. You need to have those things consecrated to God so that God can bless them and hand them back to you. There's this incredible story I'd like to tell you about five couples in the 1950s who chose 
to just give their whole life to God in the same way. They were so motivated by what God had done with their life. These, these, these five young couples, they were in their 20s, had just gotten married. A couple of them had babies. Uh, some of them didn't. And they said, let's just together, let's share Jesus. Somewhere, nobody's ever heard of Jesus. And they located this tribal people in Ecuador in the 1950s. And they were terrible. They were killers. They killed uh, anybody who'd come close to there was a There was an oil company that had come close to their camp doing work. They killed the oil workers. Nobody would go anywhere near them in Ecuador. They said, those are the people we're sure Jesus with. And so they learned the language. I mean, they went all in, moved their five families down there. They learned the language. One of the guys was a pilot. His name was Jim Elliott. And, and he started flying a little prop plane. He would drop out a rope with a bucket on the end of it, and he would fly it in a circle until the, until the bucket would sit still and just spin. And he would give gifts to those tribal people, chocolate bars that they'd never tasted before, you know, just different gifts, things that, that, that they would need or they would want tools. And finally, they started putting gifts back in the bucket He'd pull it back up, and they had made him something. He thought, this might be where we could begin. And one day, they, they found a little sandy spot on the edge of a river, and they landed that plane. And they made first contact with these people. Nobody had ever made, no civilized people ever made successful contact. with. Started, started sharing gifts back and forth. Thought they were really making great progress. And then one day, those five men showed up to see them again. And like the savages they were, those tribes came running out of the jungle chasing them with spears. Jim quickly put his hand in his pocket because he always carried a pistol for safety. He's 29 years old at the time. He puts his hand in his pocket and he immediately remembered the pledge that they had all made. We will never harm a person who does not know Jesus in order to protect one of us who knows Jesus. This went for their wives and their children. We'll die before we'll kill somebody who doesn't know Jesus. So he pulled his hand back out of his pocket away from that pistol, held his arms up, and they ran him through with a spear. Killed all five of those men. It's an incredible story of sacrifice, but the best sacrifice, the best part of the story happened with Jim's wife. Within the next two years, she, with their little girl, moved into that village and shared the gospel with the whole village. And to this, the man who killed her husband to this day is a preacher of the gospel in that original language. Because somebody said, I'm just going to give my whole life to Jesus. And Jim Elliott, before he was killed, famously said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <clears throat> Doubtlessly, that was inspired by Jesus who said, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can I challenge you to, to take Jesus to task? To test him in that? Give your life to him. And see if you don't end up with more because you gave it to him. See, that's who our church is called to be. That, that's our purpose. Community transformation is about you seeing what God would do inside of you and how it would just reverberate around the community and change people. Last year, our community heard the horrible news of a mom in Baileyton 
Remember this story? Taking a butcher knife out of her kitchen and killing her two sons. Just miles from here, just a few miles from here. Her three-year-old son and her nine-year-old son. Immediately when I heard that, I thought, we have people in our church who live over there, in that town, that community. My first thought was, what if, what if that crazy lady, I'm sorry if, if you're related to her, she had to be crazed in some way, I didn't mean to, to be offensive. What if that lady had been invited to a small group, joined a small group, found out that people love her? What if, what if somebody had invited her to Easter or, or, or to this Sunday? What if we'd done a serve project? You know, you know, all these projects are not, you know, it's not just cool things to do. It is genuinely believing that we're the link. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me as I thought about this, there are tens of thousands of people who are one purposeful connection away from life change. People who are far from God. People who are lost as they can be. People who are hurting, <clears throat> have no idea what to do with their life. One display of love. Could, change, could begin a chain reaction that changes everything for them. And you, you are that missionary. You don't have to go to Ecuador. You don't have to, you don't have to fly a plane in a circle and, and, and put your life on the line to be that servant. Maybe that is your calling, but there's a mission field right in front of you, and it begins with your the person you see in the mirror. The first convert for you to make is the person you see in the mirror. It's to say to that person, you'll never be who you could be without God. Give it all to Him today.